to the recap of Season 1 of Noobs and Dragons. I am Craig WK, your Dungeon Master, and today we're going to actually go through every episode of Season 1, just give a quick little recap, and that way everyone will be caught up for Season 2. In case anyone's looking to just jump ahead to Season 2, maybe forgot some of the events of Season 1, things like that. So... We're going to go ahead and dive in in just a moment. But first, uh, what I'd like to do is uh, thank all of our uh, members of Patreon. So Noobs and Dragons is a part of GameZilla Media and all of our patrons at GameZilla Media. So if you go to patreon.com slash GameZilla Media, you're able to support the show. And honestly, the show probably wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for them. So special shout out to all of them means a ton to us. But let's go ahead and jump on into the uh, first episode of Noobs and Dragons. So in the intro episode of Noobs and Dragons, you're introduced to the main characters, which is Alistair, a human bard, uh, Alistair Lockwood, of course, Lord Alistair Lockwood. Uh, You have uh, Tilly B. Tinker, who is a uh, forest gnome. Uh, She's a cleric. And you also have Jandar, who is a uh, wood elf, who is a ranger, fights with a bow and arrow. Now, uh, as far as that goes, you have uh, the the group is traveling to the city of Narquelian. They've been tasked with, uh, uh, you know, delivering this dream journal from someone named Enya Everwinter. She was uh, sort of a benefactor of the group. Uh, she's like, you know, a uh, uh, high elf fought with a sword. She used to be an adventurer. Something happened and she lost her hand. Group isn't really sure too much about her. But basically, she had been having nightmares, and she imparted this dream journal onto the group and essentially asked them to deliver it to a uh, gnome by the name of Gada Davida. This professor, uh, who previously had taught magic, uh, was going to be able to shed some insight into this thing. You know, she, she didn't know a lot about magic, but, you know, she figured this person would. Uh, along the way, uh, on the carriage... A strange figure came in, a uh, half-elf with black hair tied back in a ponytail, wearing really nice uh, tunic and everything, and uh, he introduced himself as uh, Galeris Galaxy Render, and basically said that he was, you know, just a, uh, curious about books, he had seen them on their travels, and, you know, thought that maybe he could take a look at this, like, strange journal they had. The group turned him down, and he walked off the carriage, and that's when the group realized, oh, wait, this is a moving carriage, And suddenly the carriage had come to a stop and it was being attacked by goblins. A strange coincidence indeed. Uh, Now, uh, after fighting a few goblins, uh, the group had a choice. They can either advance into the woods to chase the goblinoids down or head to the city of Narquelian. Now, in episode two, the group decided that they were going to hunt down those goblins. They, they figured, you know what, what's the big deal? We'll just take these guys down right now. So the, the group had uh, gone, uh, chased after a goblin by the name of Korok into this uh, uh, place called the Rusty Hatchet Warren, a uh, you know, series of tunnels uh, on the outside of Narquelian. Uh, that's where the group you know, headed to and uh, started dealing with fighting goblins and stuff. Uh, in episode three, uh, they continued their, their you know, like sort of foray into the, uh, the cavern system. Uh, the first few episodes are, you know, kind of do them doing some dungeon diving, kind of getting used to the rules. Things move a little bit slow in those first few episodes because, you know, they're, they're newbies. The, the, the players of these characters, uh, Grimlock, who plays Jandar, uh, Chops, who plays Alistair, and Jazzy, who plays Tilly, I. Uh, you know, they they have, you know, really no experience with Dungeons and Dragons. They've seen it played before. They've done a few little sample games that lasted maybe a, an hour or so tops. You know, there's not a lot of experience there. Now, uh, by episode four, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. It, by the end of episode three, the uh, group had defeated a bugbear that was ruling over these goblins by the name of Iron, uh, Iron Ox. Uh, Iron Ox had said that, you know, if he slain them uh, and then taken the book, he was going to be able to essentially turn it in for something to grant him power. The group didn't really know entirely what you know was going on there, but they defeated him. Poor Korok was split in twain by uh, Iron Ox, and uh, they continued on. Now, uh, in episode four, they made it out of the rusty hatchet Warren and headed uh, back to the caravan and, uh, you know, back or went into the city of Narquelian. Now, uh, 
the the group as they were traveling around uh, the city of Narquelian uh, met uh, a few different people of interest. Uh, one of them was uh, Mowenzi Freedom Peak, who they kind of bickered with. They didn't really get along with him very well because he's his hands were tied by this uh, you know dwarven company from the city of Strakhelm uh, far away. And, uh, you know, he wasn't able to give them as much of a reward as they sort of assumed they deserved. And uh, as far as that goes, they they sort of wandered around town a bit and met with a uh, woman at the church by the name of Esther Moonflower. Esther Moonflower heard that they were going to see Kata Davida and she offered her condolences. When the group wanted to find out what the heck she was talking about, she said, you know, apologized and assumed that they were there for his funeral as he just died a few days beforehand. And the group now has this dream journal, but has no idea what to do with it, where to go, you know. And so, uh, you know, they they talk with uh, Aina Davida, uh, his daughter, and who's you know still in town. They get a little bit of clues about, you know, what kind of life he lived. They talk to the, uh, you know, the neighbor and basically they find out that, you know, he apparently screamed really loud in the night and was dead. Uh, a uh, gentleman uh, who was sort of like the the you know right hand man of the uh, captain of the guard in the city uh, by the name of Sir Aelg had you know he's this old human. He said that you know he was the one who found the body. He you know was at the funeral trying to offer you know condolences and stuff and you know told the you know group essentially you know if if they needed anything to contact him he'd be happy to help. Uh, the group then continued on and uh, you know interviewed neighbor uh they made Ina Davida pretty mad at uh them and uh uh basically they uh went to the Midori School of Magic to try to find out some clues now uh by episode 6 they're uh you know they find out that you know Gada Davida this gnome you know uh died under these strange circumstances but underneath his magic school was this creepy shrine in this like hollowed out basement area which you know had a this you know wooden statue that looked just like one Tilly had it's this nightmare idol that followed her around you know most of her life where she would go to bed and she'd wake up and it would be beside her causing her nightmares she could throw it out and it would return to her days later hours later whatever so, you know, the, the the group is, you know, a little concerned about all this. It's, you know, definitely pretty strange stuff. Uh, now, uh, they decide then that they're going to go kind of look for clues. And the biggest clue that they can think of is finding one of uh, Gada Davida's friends. Apparently, in the adventuring group that Ev- Enya Everwinter and Gada Davida were a part of, there was another adventurer by the name of Master Don Birchman, uh, who was a uh, like a druidic teacher in the region. Uh, so the, the group went to the Stone Raven Keep because apparently there was some ritual that uh, Don Birchman was watching, you know, watching out for, looking out for, whatever, uh, where an Etten by the name of Lucidia Grawl was going to be like, you know, raised in rank in this druidic circle. And, you know, it's been quite a few days and they've not heard anything. So in episode seven, the group heads to Stone Raven Keep to try to find uh, answers. Now, along the way, they run into a half orc and immediately Jandar is pretty upset. He's not a fan of goblins and he's certainly not a fan of orcs. And he almost gets into a fight with this guy who says he's just looking for his brother Groon. Uh, at that time, they they just they kind of like, you know, bicker with the guy and he, you know, kind of blusters a bit and they sort of all storm off in, you know, their own directions. Uh, you know, so in as episode seven continues, they head into Stone Raven Keep and find out that something terrible has happened. They see bloodstains everywhere. Uh, looks like somebody large has sort of like stomped around and rampaged and uh you know, the Stone Raven Keep was once a fortress that watched over this area. But in more recent years, as peace sort of fell over the land and wars weren't as big of a, a thing for this region, you know, it sort of kind of fell into disuse and only these druids were using it as like sort of a place where they would, you know, continue their their you know research and do rituals and stuff. Uh, by episode eight, the group is still searching for Don Birchman to try to find some answers. Uh, and they make their way to the top of the tower and find uh, that Lucidia Grawl has used used something called the Shard of the Black Pyramid. From what they can uh, gather from a dying Don Birchman, essentially uh, this Etten, two-headed giant, 
uh, took uh, this Chris or, or somebody appeared before them in the middle of this ritual in a hood and you know cloak, offered this shard of the black pyramid, this strange crystal, which Grawl, the male half, stabbed into his sister, the female half of him, uh, of them, I should say, into uh, her forehead and turned her into this hideously ugly monster that was just perpetually hungry because they were like doing this fasting ritual and apparently they now find that Grawl was not thrilled about all this and Lucidia was sort of the one who was more nature and kind of, you know, forcing her brother to go along with this. Uh, now, they then went insane, you know, or rather the one half went totally insane. The other half is just power hungry, creates a portal into the shadow fell, this like, you know, shadowy dark dimension, steps forth and the group fights this monster that he sort of left behind for them, this uh, uh, tree that's been, you know, uh, turned turned to life, essentially. Uh, now, uh, the group deals with that. Don Birchman uh, dies in their arms and they then decide for Don Birchman and continue on. Now, before going back into the city, uh, the the group had also talked to somebody by the name of Judal Bloodbane uh, at the inn, uh, who which is run by this woman named Citrine uh, uh, Cascadia Citrine Fall. Uh, they found out from this Judal Bloodbane uh, that he was this. Poor, poor guy who was sort of like halfway through the transformation of turning into like a dragon man. And he said that this new Arcosia pharmaceutical laboratory had ingredients that would ease his suffering. He was like going through withdrawals, essentially. So the group decided to just head there first, you know, uh, rather than head back to the city. Uh, now, as they're heading into this place, they're they're learning that, you know, the Bloodbane family is this like cartel of dragon, like national socialists. Basically, they they prioritize dragon life above everything else. And, uh, you know, when it comes to that, they they essentially, you know, are are saying, you know, that dragons are above everything. You know, dragonborn and, kobold, and kobolds are, are worth living and most other things are not, you know. So they go through this uh, pharmaceutical lab. You know, and find that, uh, uh, you know, as they're going through, that there are strange creatures. They find, like, uh, a room that has all these animals. It has, like, you know, this, like, goat that has, like, little, like, dragon wings. Something is experimenting on, you know, all these creatures and people and stuff. So they get inside, and they find a kobold who's all stitched together and looks really strange. Like, all, like, his parts and pieces don't fit, like, fit the way they should. Uh, named Professor Von Drakovich. They talk with this little insane kobold, and they kind of, you know, are, are not sure how to take him. They, they're not taking him especially seriously, even though he's a little bit of a, a nut job. They're, they're sort of just trying to get some information out of him, and they find that he himself has been given a shard of the Black Pyramid. And he says that uh, it was from the uh, a child from the Galaxy Render estate. And he taunts, you know, sort of taunts in general that, you know, he, he wouldn't be dumb enough to use it on himself, but he used it in one of his experiments. Uh, now, I, as the, the group, you know, uh, heads deeper into this facility, they find that uh, he has this experiment, which was going to be this like draconic being that is now turned into this like, you know, like pile of like slime and dragon parts that's, you know, just gone out of control. Professor Von Drakovich gets the heck out of there. He essentially puts his head inside this like, you know, little like uh, hole in the wall and something happens where his head is then missing. The group isn't entirely sure how that works. It almost seems like his own head has been removed from his body, and they don't find it. They destroy this monster in the meantime, of course, and uh, they've now got a you know a, a shard of the Black Pyramid. They sort of hang on to it because they know that if they touch it with their own flesh, they themselves will also go insane. So they just sort of squirrel it away into their bag. Uh, now, uh, as the group leaves the uh, facility, uh, only later they realize that they left behind all the animals, including the goat that they dubbed Christopher, uh, who they're very sad about, or at least Alistair is particularly sad about. And uh, the, the group then heads back to the city of Narquelian, this uh, city that uh, until now I've not really explain too much of it's a big city in the trees and uh apparently they're uh it's made out of petrified treants and uh it's a city perpetually in autumn just always forever in autumn uh and so the group you know gets out of the facility and they uh head back into town and they find that uh you know while they got some clues about you know uh Enya Everwinter's dream journal, and they find out that apparently there was another person in that adventuring party named Brutus Payne. 
uh, tiefling. They don't really know a ton about him. Apparently, he died sometime before the their their adventure began. Uh, his house was burned down when the guy went insane or something at this pain chateau. Uh, they're not really sure of the details yet, but uh, they also find that Judal Bloodbane, in the meantime, since it took them a while to get back to the city, had like essentially gone through withdrawals, went nuts, uh, and the town guard ended up having to to put him down because he had just gone crazy and was destroying things. Uh, you know, the reward money went towards Cascadia Citrine Falls Inn, and the group decided that they didn't like her anymore because she had, you know, basically taken the, the reward money for herself to fix up her inn. Uh, otherwise, the team has met up with... Uh, the uh, the you know captain of the guards uh, you know a, uh, a half elf by the name of uh, Steelbreeze uh, Percival Steelbreeze and uh, they've also uh, talked to other people including uh, you know the guy who runs I believe the the bar the Red Leaf Brewery a uh, man named Phil Fizz Pint Chatter a gnome uh, so they've talked to, to other people in the city and they're kind of you know making friends here and there uh, but Sir Ailg comes back and Sir Ailg lets them know that uh, you know there's some concerning news apparently news has been brought to the city that Enya Everwinter has died and you know he also lets them know that the cult of the dark star this uh you know group of like extremists you know these madmen that want to annihilate the universe they worship aberrations and lords of madness uh you know they essentially he tells them hey you know there's this cult they're at the uh a place known as the shuddering mountain uh off in the west wants them to uh go ahead and head over there to to you know hopefully you know knock out this cult so you know because they're they're pretty you know it's pretty scary stuff so the group heads to the shuddering mountain uh along the the way they uh they find a like a, a strange pack on like a donkey's back that has all this weird machinery in it and one of the pieces of the machinery has the name tinker which is the same as tilly's last name uh which kind of confuses uh tilly because i uh, i you know, her father was into machinery and stuff, Albus B. Tinker, but I, uh, you know, he's been missing for years. You know, no, no, no other clues seem to be on this thing. Uh, all the while, they, they're reading through this dream journal, and as they're reading through it, they're starting to kind of feel like they're going a little insane. Like, uh, animals will, they'll wake up the next morning after reading a page of the dream journal, and, like, animals will be dead around them. Strange things keep happening, and they sort of press forward with their journey, but the dream journal is making them very concerned, understandably so. Now, uh, the group arrives at the Shuddering Mountain, they go through this place. Apparently, it used to be uh, the sort of the entryway to the surface from an ancient subterranean kingdom of mind flayers thousands of years ago, uh, which are deep in the Underdark. Uh, apparently, underneath the Shuddering Mountain is this place known as Illithid Penitentiary, uh, a spot that was like once a prison for a drow kingdom. Strange stuff. Uh, now, I... The, the group goes through a place called the Hall of Recall, uh, which shows them terrible, terrible images from their past that messes with them. It uh, screws with their mind. They go through this, uh, uh, you know, dungeon up until the, uh, uh, you know, through the 16th episode. They're, you know, they, they keep running into these, like, uh, cultists that will, like, kill themselves. And then it, like, rips open a portal into the far realm that splinters back closed and brings out a monster, essentially, an aberration. Uh and so, you know, the the group head, uh, you know, deeper into this place and uh, they find that uh, protecting the true leader, uh, Raspith, who, uh, who, you know, is he's known as apparently there's this, you know, man who controls this cult from here and they call him the true leader. Uh, they find that he's being protected by an orc from the Void Thresher tribe, who is Jandar's arch enemy. We find that the Void Thresher's destroyed his village years ago and killed his daughter or his daughter and his wife. So he decides to fight this guy to the death. And so he, uh, you know, battles with this orc bodyguard and uh, doesn't really learn too much from him. Just that, you know, this, this orc bodyguard uses this like weird shadow magic. Uh, when they get inside this place, they find that uh, the true leader, Raspith, is this old, old dying man. And they find that apparently this, these rituals that are, you know, 
slaying slaying these cult members and then bringing out you know aberrations apparently they've cast that on this old man and apparently the longer you know you're you're suffering in life you know or the longer this ritual goes for before you die it brings out something stronger than a regular aberration. It seems like they're trying to summon forth a lord of madness, one of these beings from like, you know, almost like godlike powers, you know, from beyond time and space in the far realm. The group tries to to pop him off of all this like life magical life support stuff. Uh, all the while they find that uh, the true leader Raspith hates Glaeris, who stole away the the rest of the cult of the Dark Star from him. And as they're looking at the name on the wall, Glaeris, G-L-E-A-R-I-S, they find that backwards it's Sir Aelg. And suddenly they find that the person who sent them here had maybe not the, the right motives. Now, uh, as they pop uh, uh, Raspith off of this machine, it is too late. And he dies, creates this void, and suddenly there's a being named Anonral Sin in front of them who is a lord of madness, he sort of hints that he felt like he knew them from somewhere, like he thought that he maybe met them at a party once, and he sort of like kind of dances around any questions they have, and he just says that, you know, he, he's got other things on his agenda than dealing with them. He'll, you know, he, he's not too worried about what they do. He's, he's been sort of sad lately, he says, and after kind of cryptically speaking about this kind of stuff, he just sort of vanishes from the group. Uh, now, with episode 19, the group finds that, you know, they have to get to the city. They have to find out what's going on with Sir Ale and his connections with Galeris Galaxy Render. Uh, along the way, they meet a strange woman uh, named uh, Amelia Sunflower. Amelia Sunflower is a halfling, and uh, goblins were about to attack her, and she, you know, woke up only after she was saved by the group and didn't really seem to mind it too much. She's a little out of it, uh, maybe almost a little airheaded. The group hangs out with her on their way back to Narquellian, and she kind of befriends uh, both uh, uh, Jandar and Tilly. But she seems to have some kind of problem with uh, Alistair. And when it finally comes out that her family used to own a farm on his land, the Lockwood Estates, uh, Alistair is kind of pompous and he, you know, puffs out his chest about how, you know, uh, uh, great it must have been for them to work for her, his family. And she doesn't seem too thrilled about it and doesn't say much af after that. Uh, makes it back to the city with the group and says that she has her own things to take care of and separates from the group. I. Uh, as far as that goes, the, the group uh, uh, decides to talk to Percival Steelbreeze. They find that the person who signed off on, you know, uh, uh, Sir Ailk being sent to the city was somebody named Clarus Galaxy Render. Uh, seems very, very suspicious. Uh, now, I, uh, you know, they make it uh, uh, into the city. They, they kind of talk about things and they find out that apparently there is a uh, prison uh, within uh, this uh uh, garrison called Thornhaven, and as they explore and you know kind of uh, take a look around, they find that uh, you know uh, by episode uh, uh, you know twenty two that they have uh, you know uh, learned that there is a uh, uh, some kind of path underneath Thornhaven that into the depths of Thornhaven. Uh, they also know that there have been uh, uh, strange uh, cries of wyverns coming from Gila Swamp in the south. And uh, they also know that uh, there have been issues in the Rainbow Valley, uh, which is a large, uh, you know, uh, lush forest that kind of uh, borders the, the Feywild uh, off to the uh, kind of the, the, the northwest. Uh, now, uh, the group, of course, decides to head into the depths of Thornhaven, though. They, they've got uh, uh, sort of a, an issue with uh, uh, Sir Elg, and they decide to push forward. Uh, as far as that goes, they, you know, uh, dive into the, uh, the place, find that it's filled with uh, uh, cult members uh, and also foul spawn uh, humanoids that have been just far too long exposed to the maddening effects of the Far Realm. Uh, as they get deeper into the place, they find that Glarus Galaxy Render is indeed there. Sir Aelg uh, sort of takes off this magic ring, no longer looks like Sir Aelg. He's this Glarus from when they, you know, the first episode when they uh, uh, first arrived in the city. And as far as that goes, they then realize that he is planning on 
uh, getting into some kind of source of power deep under the city. Uh, he says that there's like this, you know, being that's been sealed away there. Uh, he wants to, to gain control of it so that he can rule over the world, essentially wipe it clean himself, make a universe in his own image. Glarus is just beyond mad. Uh, he then lets the group know that uh, a bomb made by Albus B. Tinker, Tilly's father, is in the depths of uh, the this dungeon, and it's set to detonate soon. On top of that, they also have a uh, member of the Void Threshers who's guarding that bomb, and basically, Glarus Galaxy Render is able to escape because he gives the rest of the group something to focus on. Uh, he doesn't seem to attack the group. All of his uh, uh, ways of dodging around damage are sort of weird tricks and like, you know, tiny magic spells like Sanctuary, which just don't allow him to attack, but they can attack him, uh, which seems strange. He doesn't seem to have a lot of power himself. The group pushes forward. Uh, Jandar fights against Slag Gorgathal, uh, who is a, you know, old, old member of this Void Thresher tribe. Seems to have a little bit of honor to him, which is strange, but it seems like Slag Gorgathal still willing to only complete his mission rather than, you know, bend or buckle. Meanwhile, you have uh, Tilly and Alistair who, you know, have to, uh, uh, you know, head deep into the uh, uh, the. underneath this prison disarm the bomb they find out the password is Tilly's name and the bomb does not blow up all the while they seem to be followed by uh, sort of this strange invisible force that is talking to them and trying to get them to to sort of unseal it and you know like you know offering power to them and the group all the while is reading this these you know pages from the dream journal and weirder and weirder stuff is happening I so the group heads back up, finds that somebody has been murdered within the hotel. Uh, Tilly had been spotted nearby, you know, recently, and Tilly's name was written in blood along a wall. Uh, while Percival Steelbreeze is trying to interrogate the group and get to the bottom of what happened there, the group, meanwhile, is pretty upset that, you know, they just saved the city and they're now, you know, sort of, you know, stuck in this, like, you know, ridiculous situation only for Fowlspawn to come up from down below where they had just been. Uh, in from play, you know, rooms and places they hadn't fully explored yet, come in, attack, and focus down all the town guard. Uh, Percival Steelbreeze is about the only guard in the city left by the time the attack is done and these foul spawn have been defeated. Uh, Percival Steelbreeze has apologized to the group. He lets them know that he's going to kind of get a reserve force going from citizens and locks up the jail and make sure that nobody can get in. Uh, now, uh, all the while, the group decides to, uh, you know, head to the Rainbow Valley, uh, this, you know, forest that's nearby, uh, because apparently this, uh, uh, you know, place is being corrupted by forces from the uh, Shadowfell, and the group is pretty sure that... Uh, the uh, Etten Lucidia Grawl is behind it. Uh, the group isn't too much of a fan that, uh, you know, it had gotten away earlier. The group uh, decides to head into, uh, you know, this Fey forest, this forest that sort of kind of borders the Feywild almost. It's very influenced by the Feywild, even if it doesn't, you know, necessarily go directly into that dimension. But the forest is dying. You know, bad things are happening. Uh, by episode 27, the group starts heading into uh, uh, this place and they they find a... Uh, uh, a flump. Now, the flump, known as Walter, they had actually met in the Shuddering Mountain and basically told him, ah, you're not a threat to us, get out of here. You know, it's this little tiny, like, jellyfish being that sort of talks in a, a very polite act, act, you know, uh, voice and everything. Uh, they find, uh, on the way to the Rainbow Valley, uh, uh, they stop off at Stone Raven Keep. They find that he's there and saying that, you know, he's kind of getting energy from, you know, the psychic energy from some uh, aberrant energy from deep within the, the forest, uh, he thinks, from the Prismatic Palace. They bring Walter along. By episode 28, they encounter a drow known as Telomere Venomstar. Telomere Venomstar is a drow they find in the forest at night who's very, very dark. He's, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of dark in persona. And as far as that goes, he's, you know, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, uh, you know, serious. And the group finds out from him that uh, he is a member of the five supernovas, five warlocks 
who directly follow under the leader of the cult of the Dark Star within a, a you know a region, a continent, and so he is one of the five most powerful members of this cult. Uh, they also realize that he's a uh, a drow who has been uh, who had once been stored within Illithid Penitentiary, this uh, old drow prison, because he was a serial killer known as the Boogeyman. So this Telomere Venom Star is bad news, and they decide they want to fight him and try to take him down. You know, he's a powerful member of this cult, and they want to get rid of him. However, he puts on a mask that he says is a mask that was once stored a, a, a sliver of a power of a Lord of Madness, and he transforms into this strange puppet-like being, laughing maniacally, and basically slays the, the flump Walter, who's with them, and in the meantime, the group escapes. They run away. They realize they cannot fight this thing. Uh, they run through the woods, and they just barely, barely dodge uh, having to confront this, this terrifying being. They then find their way to the Prismatic Palace. Uh, necrotic energy is coming from it, even though it's this like supposed to be more influenced by the Feywild. It's this like very beautiful palace that's very like you know mirror-like, a lot of like shiny crystals and stuff. Uh, and so uh, by the uh, the next episode, the the group is uh, investigating the Prismatic Palace, and uh, uh, in episode thirty, mirror mirror on the wall, uh, which. At that point, our episodes now finally have names. Uh, the The group uh, uh, explores, and they find out that this dungeon, like, if you do something on one side of the dungeon, it has effects on the other side. You know, it's sort of like two different branching paths uh, that have, like, sort of these weird uh, things that'll happen, like, from one side to the other. Uh, they find a, a strange mirror in one of the vaults of the place that seems to have aberrant energy come from it. And like, they notice that like weird things happen. Like they, they notice like their reflections don't react the way they think they should for a moment. And the one mirror shows a city in green mist in the distance. Uh, like as if it's, you know, them it's behind them or something. Uh, you know, all the while they have this, you know, strange force following behind them, talking to them and trying to, you know, like tell them what to do and, you know, how, you know, to, Unseal it essentially. Uh, by episode 31, showdown at the Prismatic Palace, the group confronts Lucidia Grawl, the uh, Etten that they had encountered earlier. Uh, they feel bad for the poor side of Lucidia, who only complains about being hungry, uh, it knows nothing else aside from eating and the fact that it listens to its brother. And so then this Grawl half uh, is just horrifyingly mean to his, his other half, his sister, and uh, basically wants to just, like, annihilate life. You know, that's all, all it really desires. Uh, by episode 32, a fitting end to the twins, they're able to cut off uh, Lucidia's ability to bite into any of them and eat food of any kind. And so she turns on her brother and devours him instead. Uh now, uh, the group now has another piece of the Shard of the Black Pyramid, and the, the group finds that uh, a fey lord known as Melanios is, uh, you know, uh, lived, li like lived here, and basically, after all this dark energy is exuded out, has no real power uh, anymore because of that, and so she needs to sort of bide her time, gain more power, and she turns herself into a tree. Uh, as the group leaves, uh, in episode 33, The Damp Shadow, they find that Telomere Venom Star tracks them down, finds them, basically says that, you know, uh, uh, if they're not going to attack him, he's not going to attack them because he doesn't like to lose control when he puts on the mask and uh, tries to ask a, a few questions about, like, you know, the, the Dream Journal and, uh, you know, other other matters, like other things in the region and, like, you know, the Shard of the Black Pyramid that was found. And the group blows him off and he leaves, you know, basically taunting the group that, you know, he's much more powerful than them. I. Uh, by the end of episode 33, they find that other people around them seem to notice the presence that's following them. Uh, even Esther Moonflower, who's, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, wood elf from the uh, church in the city. Uh, episode 34, uh, knocking back a few with an unlikely ally. The, the group uh, has to decide between going to Gila Swamp and the Pain Chateau. And uh, as far as that goes, they they also at the bar, the Red Leaf Brewery, run by uh, uh, Phil Fizz Pint Chatter, uh, they find that uh, uh, 
uh, the orc that they had met, the half-orc on the road, uh, they find that his name is Gorn. He does not remember them, perhaps because he's drinking at the bar at this time. And Jandar somehow hits it off with him, and they kind of, you know, trade some information, and uh, uh, they seem to get along. Uh they, uh, they also find that someone's spying on them, this kobold. Apparently, the Bloodbane family has sent, you know, uh, this kobold to track down a group, you know, resembling theirs. Pretty strange. Uh, episode 35, the modus operandi of a maniac. They find, the, the group finds that uh, Telomere Venomstar is in the city, and his sort of M.O. as a uh, uh, serial killer is that he collects a child who's usually from like sort of like a, a bad area, doesn't have a very good life, treats them well for a month and then murders them after a month. Uh, you know, they, they find this out and they realize that there's a little bit of a time limit as a kid has gone missing, but they realize that they have time to go do some other things and then come back to, you know, uh, what's happened here. I, uh, Episode 36, the the GS-01 Auxiliary Labs, they find that, uh, you know, they go through the swamp, they find a uh, treant known as Swamp Burrow, who sort of put in roots in the ground, uh, tells them some strange stories, basically about uh, seeing a lot of wyverns in the area and uh, noticing that a uh, half-orc had murdered a whole bunch of kobolds around. Uh, the group continues on and uh, finds that... Uh, uh, you know, by the end of episode 36, they, they find that this lab has been sort of built in the swamp by a, like a team of dragonborn. Uh, the wyverns don't seem to be in sight anymore. Looks like they just were dropping off, you know, like equipment or whatever. Uh, and by episode 37, Shimmering Scales of Hatred, uh, they find out that Professor Von Dracovich has been in the region, was looking for the team uh, because the brain he put inside the this, like, you know, new creature he made uh, had been previously killed by Alistair, and so it was looking for Alistair for revenge. It was very fixated on him. So that's why, you know, Professor Von Dracovich was looking for this, uh, the team. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, the the group with Professor Von Dracovich, who's just a brain in a jar at this point, uh, they they fight against this creature, which is this weird dragon man hybrid. Uh, not quite a dragonborn. Uh, it has wings and has a tail. Uh, it's very fast, and uh, its scales change color uh, every so often to different chromatic uh, dragon colors. Uh, eventually, in episode 38, A Sea of Bottomless Darkness, a, uh, another member of the uh, five supernovas arrive in the uh, area, uh, a uh, uh, human known as Saturn Volo. He creates this like portal of darkness that starts swallowing up all the labs. The group is running around trying to stop you know, him from uh, uh, hurting people. They also find that he got a hold of the goat Christopher that they had liked. And so he like, you know, like throws it into this like, you know, bottomless darkness. They have to like try to get that back. They get the uh, body back of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Professor Von Dracovich because they defeated the thing. And because that's what, you know, Professor Von Dracovich wants his new body to be. And so by episode 39, it's not a battle with a supernova. It's brain surgery. Uh, while Tilly is uh, calling up the Bloodbane family through a uh, crystal ball to convince them not to come to the city, convincing a uh, scary dragonborn known as Zyklon Bloodbane not to do so, uh, you have uh, Jandar, uh, who's found Saturn Folo, who's created a portal to Glarus Galaxy Render. He's able to launch an arrow and hit Glarus. Uh, all this ridiculous stuff is happening. Uh, and then finally, Alistair transforms into a giant eagle, scoops up Saturn Volo, drops him from a distance. They both end up tumbling down to the ground, and Tilly ends up having to save uh, Alistair and essentially, you know, allows Saturn Volo to escape. Uh, not necessarily a full-on victory, but, you know, they're feeling pretty good after that. Uh, episode 40, the Luna Solar Cannon, uh, Alistair has been carrying around plans with him for a while, a while, these strange schematics. He knows that Professor Von Dracovich is intelligent. He asks him to look at him. And Professor Von Dracovich lets him know that these plans are uh, very strange. They use mechanical components and biological components. And apparently from the plans, it seals away aberrant energy. Uh, Professor Von Dracovich says that if he needs him like they need him he they did get him his body and you know everything that he would be uh willing to help by making this cannon for them and they uh, agree uh and so the strange mad scientist kind of becomes a uh sort of a an unlikely ally to the group uh so 
by episode 41, Welcome to the Pain Chateau, the group uh, has decided that they want some clues on what's going on with this uh, dream journal. They, they want answers. So the group heads to the Pain Chateau, where this Brutus Pain apparently used to reside. Uh, as far as that goes, they you know have only been told that he was once a party member of theirs, but he ended up going crazy and ended up getting like executed because he they burned his mansion down while he was like still in it. Uh, now, I... Uh, when the group arrives, they find that the estate is there. The building is up, and it has doesn't seem to have been burned down. Uh, episode forty-two: Haunting memories through empty corridors. They go through the the this place, and they start finding strange clues. Apparently, Enya Everwinter, Gada Davida, and Don Birchman weren't friends with Brutus Payne. He had been their, like, sort of their employer. And there was another woman who was their friend, Ares Volta, this archer. Uh, as the group puts two and two together, they start finding from these strange images of the past that Enya Everwinter and Gada Davida, somewhere deep under the earth, encountered some horrible being, uh, a being known as Illinok, the Teeth of Gnashing Desire. And uh, Enya touched it with her hand, and she was driven mad. Gada only saw what had happened and was going insane. And so they came to Brutus Payne, this team, and Brutus, who apparently was being uh, afflicted by a shard of the Black Pyramid, given to him by a non rule sin of all people, this lord of madness the group encountered earlier, uh, they uh, find that he is totally insane, cuts off Enya Everwinter's hand, for some unknown reason, and uh, he murders Ares Volta, who found him doing this. He then uses some strange magic to remove their memories and make it seem like it was Brutus Payne who was their friend all along and Ares Volta never existed. Uh, so the group goes through this, this you know terrifying place, and by episode 43, The Fang of the Night Sky, they find that, uh, you know, Brutus Payne had, was in league with, you know, this, you know, Lord of Madness known as Illinok, the Teeth of Gnashing Desire, and something, this this strange being fell from beyond time and space as a star out of the sky hit the ground where the Payne Chateau was. Uh, and then the Payne Chateau was only built up later, uh, presumably built up later. Uh Episode 44, The Remnants of the Party. As they start wrapping things up and want to go back into the city, uh, the group uh, finds that, uh, like, there's strange things that happen. Like, they open a shed door and, like, you know, party favors explode out. They see these weird beings off in the trees that, like, you know, whisper about uh, them being the, the masters of the estate and throwing a party. Real creepy things happen that tie into what Anonral Sin, uh, Sin said earlier in the campaign. I. Uh, now, uh, uh, the group then, you know, takes off after they find that the Payne Chateau has vanished. It's, you know, no longer there anymore. Uh, and in episode 45, words from the teeth of gnashing desire, uh, the group, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, heads into the depths of Thornhaven, try to find out, you know, more information. And they end up getting words from, uh, uh, you know, the... Uh, you know, this Lord of Madness, who's sort of at this point, uh, uh, you know, letting them know that they they don't seem to be trying to unseal him. He's not getting that like kind of vibe from them, essentially. And he just sort of vanishes from their presence. Uh, episode 46, A Difficult Decision. Uh, the group encounters uh, an imp known as Belgaroth. Now, earlier in their adventure, they met him in the uh, Midori School of Magic. He was stuck in like a magic circle, basically, that Gada Davida had created. Uh, and uh, so this Belgaroth is back, and apparently he's working for a warlock known as Zalaman the Wretched. Uh, and essentially, uh, there's a trial in hell coming soon and uh, for Lucidia Grawl's soul. The group can't or that nobody can decide if it should belong in hell or if it should belong in the like, you know, maybe the Feywild or with the gods because, you know, Lucidia's soul was good. Grawl's soul was bad, but they all sort of share a soul. So it's it's sort of this weird thing where they're kind of caught in this limbo. Uh, now, I. The, the group uh, is invited to this trial, and the group is a little unsure of how they want to go about it, but in the meantime, they want to track down this lost kid, and so in episode 47, stalking one of the five, they team up with a woman in the city known as Hildegard Arachnos, who is also a drow. They've met her early in the adventure, befriended her, she was just, you know, a, a weapon shop salesman. And they find that Hilda is the one who actually led to the original capture of the boogeyman. Her best friend 
had been taken away and murdered, and she was the one who was able to give clues to the investigators in the city of Enwina Lume, this drow city, uh, how to find the boogeyman. Uh, so the group starts kind of teaming up with her and trying to track down through the city this dark elf serial killer. Uh, in episode 48, The Terror of the Boogeyman, the group finally is able to confront uh, the boogeyman, finds this child, and Telomere Venomstar does not give them any violence in return. Uh, he basically says that, you know, if he puts on the mask, he'll go crazy. He'll, you know, end up killing them, a whole bunch of the city. And his, you know, he won't get the thrill he wants as if he has to wait. You know, he wants to wait that full month to, before he just murders the kid on his own without using the mask. So basically he just sort of fades, like he sort of leaves and fades away into the crowd. And the group realizes that he's too powerful to take down. Uh, Hilda isn't thrilled about this, but, you know, not much else that can be done. Uh, episode 49, A Clockwork Night. The group finds out that uh, there are sort of three things of note in the region at this point. There's a coliseum uh, that was once controlled by ogres. Uh, far in the north, there's a uh, cove where an orc tribe once was that's sort of gone dormant and missing. You know, nobody knows where they're at. Uh, and then uh, in the south, there's a... Uh, 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 was once the uh, stables of the Lockwood estate. It was sort of like a, a summer home for them in this region uh, where, you know, strange things are happening. Uh, so the group heads to the Coliseum first because they want to see if they can save this Albus B. Tinker, who will hopefully help them build the gun. He's supposed to be good with mechanics. He's a tinkerer. And uh, so the the group heads that direction. They find this strange armored, like, uh, uh, automaton that uh, is heading... Uh, away from the Colosseum and, uh, you know, sort of they fight it and break it apart and they don't really learn, you know, too much from it. Uh, but in episode 50, the gates of Ophel Gorger Coliseum, uh, the Ophel Gorger were this tribe of ogres long ago, uh, they find that uh, there's a lot of like ghastly, ghostly ogres here. And there's also a whole bunch of uh, like strange automatons. And they head inside. And by episode 51, the killing floor with Jandar pulling switches and levers, they're bringing out all these like automatons and robots they have to fight. Uh, you know, definitely concerning stuff. All the while, uh, a uh, an ogre, a ghastly ogre, uh, uh, this ghost known as uh, Gorbo Borgo, uh, this dumb, dumb ogre, uh, is sort of following them around and trying to get them out, you know, out of the uh, Coliseum. The group encounters a, uh, a merchant, a halfling merchant named Roscoe, uh, saves him, uh, and uh, all the while, Gorbo Borgo starts, like, chasing them down and uh, ends up, like, possessing this, like, giant automaton, steam-powered, like, robot, essentially, and, uh, you know, makes uh, his way into the, uh, uh, or they make their way deeper into this place and find that Saturn Volo is there. Uh, Saturn Volo is, uh, uh, wants to kill them to use their souls as well. Uh, and basically he's amassing power because he wants to take down Glarus Galaxy Render. He wants to have power. Uh, he's not a fan of Glarus. Uh, so the group, you know, continues hunting him down. And uh, uh, with episode 53, A Familiar Visitor, an old man who looks just like Sir Aelg did appears, says that he's Major Domo Sotheby Crux, the head butler of the Galaxy Render Estate, and basically tells, you know, uh, Glarus that, you know, he's, or tells, I'm sorry, not Glarus, uh, tells uh, 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 Saturn Volo on behalf of Glarus that he's to be executed. Uh, turns out that uh, a man named Sotheby Crux, the group had found out earlier in the campaign, was a master swordsman. Uh, he cut down Saturn Volo and basically made a deal with his own Lord of Madness that he would gain Saturn Volo's teleportation powers on top of him being a great swordsman. The The group encountered uh, Major Domo Sotheby Crux, talked to him, and basically, you know, he said that he, he wasn't ready to fight them yet because he was afraid that, you know, his, his powers that he just obtained he wasn't familiar with, and he leaves. The group then continues on and finds that Albus B. Tinker is alive. Uh, they are able to rescue the uh, the old gnome, uh, who is Tilly's father. Uh, meanwhile, in episode 55, uh, a very wretched meeting, the group uh, heads in... Uh, to the nine hells and decides that because Esther Moonflower has been chosen to be the sort of the defense attorney for uh, uh, Lucidia that, you know, 
they're going to go to, to hell as well. They end up meeting Zalaman the Wretched, this strange, strange warlock who apparently does not bind himself to other powerful beings. He binds them to him. Very, very powerful. Uh, he basically makes a bargain with the group that if he, uh, if the group gives evidence and testimony to support uh, Lucidia Grawl going to hell, he'll give them magical items. And the group wants power to take down Glarus, and so they take his offer. Uh, as far as that goes, they they you know make it so that Lucidia Grawl goes to hell, only to find that Lucidia Grawl's soul has now been bound to a member of Vile, this strange organization of powerful magic users and sorcerers and stuff, uh, wizards and warlocks. Uh, and Solomon the Wretched is one of them, and he now has the powers that you know uh, uh, Lucidia Grawl had. So, in episode uh, 57, with them back, you know, coming from uh, the Nine Hells, they meet a, uh, an out of, uh, the, in episode 57, the out-of-practice alumnus, a uh, wizard comes to the Midori School of Magic, hoping to learn from God Adavida, Zoff Reverus. And they talk to this Zoff, realize that, you know, he, he just wants some practice before he goes back home to, like, Rayburn Falls. And, uh, you know, they, they say, yeah, 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 just help out, uh, you know, Professor Von Drakovich and Albus B. Tinker. Meanwhile, the two geniuses are not really keen on working with each other. Uh, they, the group then heads to the Thunder Tusk Cove to find out what's going on with these orcs. Uh, in episode 58, Aberrant Shadows in the Night, and episode 59, Poison Dripping with the Void, they make their way into Thunder Tusk Cove. The Thunder Tusk tribe has been wiped out. The Void Threshers have stolen their lair. Uh, by episode 60, delving into Thunder Tusk Cove, the group finds out that apparently uh, the uh, the leader of the Void Threshers, uh, a, uh, a half-orc who worships Glay Crin, the Hate's Heart, uh, another Lord of Madness, is there. And, uh, and in episode 61, The Return of the Brother, the group finds that apparently the brother of Gorn is this Groon Void Thresher who's controlling the Void Thresher tribe. And so the, the group has to save Gorn. They then send Jandar to fight this Groon who lets him just do damage to him. They then find out that uh, apparently Groon's plan is that uh, anyone who kills him with hate in their heart, he'll control his their body next. He basically just jumps bodies. This like you know who is this man who was once Gorgron Void Thresher, the father of Gorn and Groon, who just treated them like garbage. the The group then can, uh, has you know Gorn come back. He's you know, pretty damaged. He doesn't want to hurt his brother, but realizes that his brother is long gone, and then defeats. Uh, you know, groon his brother and essentially saves the group and does not get taken over because he loved his brother. Uh, episode 63, a brief respite before a plunge into terror. The group heads back to the, the city, talks with some of their friends and relaxes just a little bit before they head to Lockwood stables. Uh, they find that uh, the, we, all the, the horses and stuff that, you know, would have been, you know, at the stables have been like corrupted by aberrant beings and uh, uh, just, you know, real, real bad stuff going on there. Uh, now, uh, uh, in episode 64, the wreathing of sprinkles, episode 65, the blood in the barn. And uh, in those two episodes, the, the group, you know, goes through, finds, uh, you know, all these like, you know, like weird, horrifying aberrations that are all horse based. And uh, uh, they get separated from Alistair. Alistair, uh, in now episode 66, Out of Time, uh, he finds that Amelia Sunflower is one of the five supernovas, and she did so in order to take revenge on Alistair and his family because she, you know, was uh, her family, you know, life was horrible because of the, you know, the bad conditions on this farm. Uh, in episode 67, the supernova paradox, uh, Amelia stabs Alistair with a knife that apparently will force him to relive the moments of her childhood that were the worst over and over again, only to have a non-real sin appear, say that he's essentially going to, you know, allow him one opportunity to make things, you know, to change something in the past. And Alistair uses that moment to save Amelia from her abusive parents, and she's able to run away from them and thus creates a time paradox as when they're now back in the real world, they find that she is no longer a warlock 
and she is no longer, uh, you know, uh, doesn't you know she doesn't have any more powers. She's no longer a supernova. They find that uh, she is the one who allowed the plans to stay on Alistair when he was ambushed by Galeris years and years ago when his family estate was burned down and his parents murdered. And so in episode 68, Mayorita's last dance, the group fights Mayorita Kanasan, who has now replaced her as a supernova as this time paradox worked itself out. I. Uh, they defeat you know defeat her uh, and that's now two supernovas have been defeated of the five uh, episode 69 showdown at the Redleaf brewery a uh, uh, a wood elf who is looking was originally looking to defeat the void threshers himself comes to town uh, Jandar is able to best him and uh, basically tells the guy you know tells the guy hey you're gonna help us out as best you can uh, now uh, uh, as the uh, Episodes, you know, kind of continue on here. We have in episode 70, Advent of Calamity, and 71, Cobbling Together Hope, uh, some crazy things have happened. Uh, they find that uh, apparently throughout a lot of their adventures recently, uh, Cascadia Citrinefall has been trying to send word that she wants somebody's help. Uh, she wants to hire them for a job or whatever. Weird things are going on. Because of the group's previous incident at the inn and the fact they weren't a fan of Cascadia, they just ignored it. Uh, turns out that the... Uh, place where Glarus Galaxy Render was hiding was this very inn all the time they were, you know, wondering where he was at. So Glarus Galaxy Render, flanked by Sotheby Crux and Telomere Venom Star, uh, mocks the group, tells them that, you know, he's going to uh, essentially, you know, uh, he's found another way into the uh, depths of uh, underneath Thornhaven. He's going to unseal uh, Illinok, the Teeth of Gnashing Desire. And he's also found that there are three other locations in the region that are also, you know, where Illinok is trying to break free out of like his prison. And so even if the one spot fails, he has backup plans. Uh, he then casts through a sc spell scroll, uh, uh, you know, a... Uh, 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 meteor swarm and the inn is destroyed with the group barely surviving in cobbling together hope the group meets a shoe cobbler who is able to make magical shoes and uh the group is able to talk to all their friends in town and realize that they have a lot of people backing them and they want to help and the lunar solar cannon made by albus and professor von drakovich is nearly completed i uh, Episode 72 actually uh, ties into a live stream that we did where the group did a bonus dungeon, which turned out to be canon. Uh, uh, episode 72, the tunnel to Illithid Penitentiary. Uh, the the group finds their way back from the, uh, uh, you know, this horrible, horrible uh, prison that was, you know, once a, a Mind Flayer kingdom and find one of these pits where, you know, uh, Illinok, the Teeth of Gnashing Desire, is coming forth. They then seal it up. Episode 73, Return to the Pain Chateau. 74, Sojourn at the Pain Chateau. 75, The Concerns of Brutus Pain. 76, The Sun Sets at the Chateau. And 77, The Life of the Party. The group, uh, oh, I... Uh, and also uh, 78, Stolen Memories, the group finds that uh, they just sort of suddenly appear at the Pain Chateau. And after wandering around for quite a while trying to figure things out, they find that uh, apparently, uh, uh, you know, like a long, long time has passed since the, the they were originally heading to the Pain Chateau to find this source of, of Illinok's power. They don't have their gear on them. They can't figure it out for the life of them. They finally spend the night in the Chateau and the next morning, they find that there's a party and they meet a non-rule sin who mocks them, says that it's great to meet them. And he basically calls them, uh, uh, you know, basically refers to them as not being themselves, as saying that they're living on like borrowed memories. I. Uh, the group then goes into the depths of the Paint Chateau and finds out that, indeed, their own imp bodies are stored away in these weird fleshy sacks. And they find out the Paint Chateau is a giant mimic. Uh, it is this the Paint Chateau is them as they just their memories weren't able to fully take over. And, you know, so they were all confused and stuff. And so uh, basically they free themselves. And all the group has memories of is the fact that they came to the Paint Chateau sealed away the power of Illinok in this region, and then moved on. Uh, unaware that uh, a non-real sin has obtained the hand of Enya Everwinter and basically said that he now controls the Pain Chateau. Uh, 
In episode 79, Shoth Filthkish, the group finds that uh, they have to uh, go to the uh, uh, the city in Green Mist where they that they saw in the mirror a long time ago. So they go to the uh, Prismatic Palace. They then find themselves in the world of this mirror, and it's apparently a, a city on the dimension a dimension that borders like the the Far Realm, essentially, where all these aberrations reside and all this like weird Cyclopean architecture is. And so in episode 80, the ultimate betrayal, they they meet somebody they think could help them who turns on them and turns out to be another monster. And uh, uh, in episode 81, Oh, I know Ro, they find a Cyclops known as Noro, who's another Lord or another uh, one of the five supernovas is apparently uh, in service to a Lord of Madness known as Ian Warp, the lungs of bile. And he then gives them a quiz. And basically every time they answer questions, right, it empowers them to help defeat him. After answering all these questions, the group is able to take down Noro and uh, seal away the power of Illinok in this region. The group has now completed all of the things they need to finally confront Glarus so he has no escape routes. Episode 82, uh, Dear Friends in Narquelian. The group rallies together all their friends. They get the you know the uh, everything together, and they find that in the in episode eighty three, the dawn of the final battle, that they have uh, uh, that the tomb of Don Birchman is where the uh, you know everything is now going to take place. It's where Glarus is sort of dug into the earth, where he's trying to get to the uh, power of uh, uh, you know Glarus or uh, Glarus is getting the power of. Uh, Illinok, the Teeth of Gnashing Desire. Episode 84, The Last of the Void Thresher Tribe. The group gets separated from their friends after they defeat uh, the uh, uh, Sludge, Snarl, and Swoop Gorgothal. Uh, in episode 85, The Fate of Venomstar and an Old Friend, the group confronts Telomere Venomstar, who has decided that he does not necessarily want to watch the world be destroyed. He'd rather the world be around because he has a sick, sick fascination with killing children. And so the group decides to let him go, hopefully to defeat him later, knowing that they need as much power as possible to defeat, you know, this uh, Galarus Galaxy Render's, you know, final, you know, sort of gauntlet of foes. One of those foes is the Goat Christopher, which has been given a whole bunch of Shards of the Black Pyramid, turned into a horrible monster they have to destroy. Uh, episode 86, The Madness and Sorrow of Enya Everwinter. Previously at the inn, when Glarus taunted them, he let them know that uh, Enya Everwinter, who stole the dream journal back from them, has gone completely insane, was not really dead, and that was just a lie from Glarus way earlier in the adventure. Uh, the group does defeat her. They free the souls of uh, Ares Volta, uh, Don Birchman and Gata Davida, who sort of put her soul at ease and make it so that she has one last moment of sanity before she dies. Uh, in episode 87, The Fall of the House of Galaxy Render, the group takes down Major Domo Sotheby Crux, who teleports them to the Galaxy Render estate miles and miles, hundreds of miles away from where this is taking place, knowing that once he does so, they can't get back and they can't advance further in the dungeon without his like final key. And so the group defe uh, defeats him in uh, the episode. And uh, as far as that goes, they free the soul of Saturn Volo with the last of his power before his soul is destroyed. He then sends them to uh, uh, back to the tomb of Don Birchman. Episode 88, Revenge. The group confronts Glarus Galaxy Render, uses the uh, Lunasolar Cannon, and seals off Illinok, thus thwarting all of uh, Glarus's plans. In his madness and his lashing out at his own people, he has a visitor. It's the invisible force that's been had previously been following the group earlier in the campaign. It now arrives in front of the insane Glarus Galaxy Render and offers him a deal. Glarus sacrifices the lives and souls of all of his followers just to have the power to defeat the group. Uh, episode 89, uh, the end of the journey, has them finally defeating Glarus Galaxy Render, who's also now offered his own soul up to gain even more power to defeat the group, sent them to the Far Realm, and their loved ones, Walter, who died earlier in the adventure, connected them with uh, you know, Alistair's mother and father, Al, uh, Tilly's mother, who died in childbirth, birth, as well as uh, Jandar's wife and daughter, who brought them 
back from the Far Realm, only to see that their friends were about to be destroyed by uh, Glarus. They then used the Luna Solar Cannon and offered up nearly all of their life energy, 100% of Tilly's, 99% of Jandar's, and 20% of Alistair's, to annihilate and remove Glarus from existence. His soul was destroyed by... uh, uh, by them, essentially. Oh, well, like, sorry, his soul was destroyed by Illinok because he no longer, you know, could not help out uh, Glarus in the world and trying to uh, free him. And in episode 89, the end of the journey, the last episode, the group is essentially all crippled, just totally wrecked. All of their friends come in to say, you know, how proud of them they are, how much, it, you know, they're, they're, you know, their sort of sacrifice means to them. Uh, the group is then confronted by Melanios, who says that they might be able to live if they come with her to the Feywild, because there's a lot of life-giving energy there. She doesn't know for sure, but maybe they will. And finally, as they go to bed, a non sin appears, takes the Lunasolar Cannon, takes the Dream Journal, and basically taunts them and says that he doesn't think they should have it anymore, but thanks them for sealing away Illinok for a long time, because... Someday, all the Lords of Madness will be ready at once, and there's no need for them to all be unsealed at separate times. And that's the end of Season 1 of Noobs and Dragons. Uh, I definitely appreciate that uh, you guys have listened along. Uh, and for anyone who has not listened to the entire first season, uh, hopefully the, a little bit of this has, uh, you know, sparked your curiosity of course but even if it hasn't look forward to season two some of the events from season one definitely uh, go into that uh you know you you have uh, uh little bits and pieces that i missed here and there you have like the uh uh all of the uh, like a big band who have taken the uh you know Cascadia Citrine Fall, uh, you know to the uh the west uh you know a lot of them roscoe the halfling uh you know uh Odaskal, the the elf who uh, you know fought against Jandar, uh, Zoff Reveris, uh, you know uh, uh, Norbert, the the cobbler. A lot of these side characters, you know, who are actually made by our Patreon members, uh, have actually uh, you know went to the the west of Rayburn Falls to deliver the uh, comatose Cascadia Citrine Fall. Uh, you have. Professor Von Dracovich, who fled the city angry that, you know, Tilly and the rest had been kind of taunting and uh, taunting him and, you know, not giving him the respect he deserved. Uh, you also have, uh, you know, Telomere Venomstar, who's uh, banned in the city and left the region, you know. So there's plenty of things that might play into season two. So make sure to look forward to that. Otherwise, uh, you know, once again, thank you to all the patrons uh, who support the show. And if you want to support the show, make sure to go to patreon.com slash GameZilla Media. And there you can go ahead and uh, join up our Patreon page. Every month, you're going to get access at the $5 tier to the Behind the DM screen, a behind-the-scenes look at uh, the show. Make sure to go ahead and look into that if you're interested, of course. And thank you so much for listening to... Not only this episode, or even just this episode, but season one of Noobs and Dragons. Definitely means the world to me and the rest of the cast, and we'll see you next time.